When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. Russ and my hammers 11. Hope you're all safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and hitting the bell icon so you're made aware of any time we put new content on. Today's guest, well, what can we say about Mr. Holland? Uh, I think overall, something over 300 appearances he's made for the club. Um, 30, I wrote it down, 32 goals, 12 years, um, 1975 Cup final winner, um, scored in a 96, it's 96, sorry, Pat, 76 European Cup winners <laughs> cup. Irish pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Against Anderlecht. Um, it is Mr. Pat Holland. We all know it is. How are you, Pat? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm welcome, Russ. Uh, and thank you for welcoming me to your show. And look forward to the next half hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, absolute pleasure. How, how's, the, um, how's the new world this world coronavirus? How is it for you at the moment? Um, well, it's, for me, it's, it's been a little bit disappointing in so much that I was working for Arsenal as a senior scout for nearly coming on 10 years. Wow. And um, they brought it to an end with when they got rid of uh, maybe 20 personnel from the senior mm-hmm. scout department. So that's difficult. Um, so what I'm doing at the moment, I'm working for an agent who's a nice fella and um, they're, they're a sort of bit scratching for players. So I'm going out, I'm watching a bit of non-league at the moment. Um, because it's very difficult to get in to watch games uh, in this climate. And unless you're associated with a club who can email and get you through the door, then it's it's quite difficult. But I've been, it's quite enjoyable. I've been to Avely and I've been to Brentwood. So I'll see how the other half live and uh, I've quite enjoyed it. (laughs) I'm from Ormchurch, so I sort of get you there. Sorry, Gideon Park. Yeah, yeah, that'll do me, Ormchurch. But yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Yeah, you got to think if unless you're associated with the club, getting into that because I mean, I mean, the Premier League games are only like three hundred people allowed in the ground, in it. So um, sure. yeah, it must be really tricky. But as you said, non-league, and obviously a lot of people are going to non-league at the moment because it they can get in. Well, exactly. I mean, I'll, Brentwood. I thought maybe four hundred there. I might be over the top. Might have been three to four hundred, but they 
they looked as if they were enjoying themselves and they just, you know, they just want to watch a game of football and have a, and socialise. Mm. I think Do that's you, the main thing, isn't it? It's the socialising aspect. Of course it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not it's not about I mean, as you know, I've been to West Ham, it's not about the football for us, it's about the socialising and the drinking and, and meeting up yeah. the mates and uh yeah, yeah and, all, and even more so, you know, if the if the Premier League want you to pay fifteen quid to, to for a pay per view match, I'd rather spend that down non league team. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, and it, it supports them as well, which is great. Yeah. You know, when you go there, you you feel as if you're going back to a tradition of football in many respects. Yeah, is, you know, I mean, it's great to go to a Premiership game. We know that the atmosphere, um, but to go there, that they're, they're you know they're they're true supporters as well in many respects. Yeah. They are definitely, you know, and hardened supporters, isn't it? Because as you said, yeah. they're going all over the way. No, don't get no, you know, seats. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's no niceties. No, no. Well, that's like that's like because I because obviously I, I I work at the, at the club, so I'm obviously I, I, and I I've worked there for many years, and so I never get to watch a football game properly. Do you know what I mean? So no. my 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 daughter, obviously, we live in Ornchurch, so we weren't too far away from Rush Green, so we'd go and watch the ladies play West Ham yeah. women's, and that was my sort of back to roots. You know what I mean? Shout sure. at the referee and, and <laughs> hollering and screaming. Yeah. You get plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly non-league as well, but that's yes, brilliant, man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Because you said, I remember Arsenal. Yeah, they put a load of redundancies out, including the mascot, wasn't it? Famously, as well. Yeah, the mascot bit the dust as well. But I think he's been rescued by himself. Um, yes. It was that was it was a uh, disappointing because um, yeah. I'd, I'd, a friend of mine was a chap called Steve Rowley, who was the chief scout at Arsenal, who was a great West Ham supporter um, in the seventies and eighties. So we had an affinity because he would watch the sides that I played in, and if was out of work, which uh, occasionally did happen in football. Uh, he would come to the rescue, and I'd go and do a bit of scouting for him at Arsenal. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're an excellent club. And uh, listen, I had a great time there. And these things just happen. You know, it's, it's there's a lot of people out of work, and uh, it's just one of those times, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. It is unfortunate. And it was. It said it's even even tougher as well now because obviously you know with all the lockdowns and, and different sure. restrictions every everywhere as well, yeah. it's even tougher, yeah. isn't it? And so yeah, that's why we have to do it on. That's why we have to do it on this little thing. <laughs> yeah. But we managed to sort it out, didn't we, Pat? Eventually, so yes, it's, all good. it's all it's all good, and it's very easy yeah. once it's up and running. Um, anyway, let's go back. Let's go back to. You know, the, let's go back to to the West Ham days because um, that's what this channel's about. That's what everyone wants to know about and find out. About. Sure. Um, now, for for any fan that comes on, I ask about why they're a West Ham fan, and the, the, for the players, I ask about you know joining the club and stuff like that. So that's what we'll, we'll do with you. So obviously, you know, you're a popular boy. If I if I yeah. get my yeah popular boy. So was it always going to be West Ham? Um, no, because I was an Arsenal supporter. <laughs> that's what I thought I was going to say. Yeah, and um, my first game, believe it or not, my uncle Tom took me to watch West Ham play Fulham, which I believe Jimmy Hill played in, and West Ham won 6-0. So that would have been about 58, I believe, that time. So then, um, obviously, I got interested in football. My dad took me over to the Arsenal, and they were playing Man United, and I was a Man United supporter by that time. Bobby Charlton and your kids growing up. And um, and the Arsenal beat them 5-1, I believe. I think it could have been round about the time of Munich, but when you're a little and you don't understand that. 
So my father, who's a, an Arsenal supporter, said, look, you can't see Man United every week, but we can watch the Arsenal on a regular basis. So I become an Arsenal supporter. And on the estate where I lived, it was 99% West Ham yeah. and the rest was me, Arsenal. <laughs> so it was a difficult environment. And West Ham were a bogey side to the Arsenal round about that time. Um, it took me over to the Arsenal, to West Ham one evening. And you aren't, you're too young to remember. It was Guy Fawkes night and it was 1960. And um, West Ham beat the Arsenal 6-0. And my father, who's a dock worker, uh, met up with his mates in the chicken run. So we were standing on the wooden platforms. I had my red and white scarf on and my bobble hat and rattle. And uh, he said, my dad, he said, as the goals went in, you got lower and lower. And in the end, you were sitting on the old wooden <laughs> platforms. Um, which brings us forward a few years because uh, I made my debut against the Arsenal. Yeah. And um, those... Very fellas that were still with my dad that evening watched the game, and one of them said, Who's the seven, the kid playing outside right? He said, That's Patsy Holland's boy, young Patsy, the boy that stood with us wow. uh, nine years earlier, you know. And it was just incredible, really, to think it had gone that far, you know. Um, so I think once you put a shirt on, that's the end of it, you know. My interest in Arsenal was sort of there, but once you put the shirt on, you're playing for a club and you're representing them and you're 100% all the way with that. Yeah, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? That sort of yeah. like nine years, that serendipitous sort of, like, you know, circle of lifetime. That's inc absolutely incredible. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. and obviously before, before you made your debut, um, you know, was there other clubs potentially looking at you or... No, it was. I was. I was quite late. I played for East London and in and out of the side from about twelve on to fifteen. So there was two years gap when I never played for East London. But I got back in uh, my school, which was George Green's. I don't. It's gone over the Isle of Dogs now, but it was down the East India Dock Road. Sure. Uh, it was a lovely school. It was grammar school, um, and they were the only grammar school that played football in that area. Strangely enough. Um, Anyway, I got back in the East London side and we played someone, a chap called Arthur Lamb, who's passed away, bless him, uh, see me and, and spoke to Wally St. Pierre. And Wally come and watched East London versus um, All Crikey. I'm trying to think of the district near Tottenham. It's gone out of my head. Anyway, um, Wally went there and he was going to look at the number eight, uh, but he didn't like the eight, he liked the ten. And what it was, there was a boy called Billy Gardner, and for some reason we swapped shirts in the dressing room before the game. And I had that number shirt. And Wally tells a story that uh, Bill Nick, who, who lived not far from the the, uh, the the stadium that hosted the game, because uh, Bill Nick lived, lived near Tottenham Stadium, believe it or not, amazing, in a terraced house. He said Bill was at the game, and he, he quite liked, the boy Holland, who was playing with a 10 shirt, and so did Wally. So he said it was a race to get there first, and Wally, Wally won the race. He came up, he was a big man, intimidating man, great big hands, and he frightened me a little bit, and he said, I'd like you to come down to West Ham and train. And uh, you can't say no, you know. And uh, I just said, yeah. And, uh, and I went, my first evening was on a Thursday night, and I went with my duffel bag, 
and I went into the main stadium and as you walked in, all the boys were warming up outside. Only there was no it wasn't organized, they were just re getting ready for training. And uh, I can remember it to this day. As I walked in, there was a lad called Kevin Bliss who played for Newham. And he flicked the ball up and caught it on the back of his neck. And I thought, I can't do that. I thought, should I turn back? And uh, anyway, I was brave. I went all the way. And my first coach that night was John Law, wow. who I still feel was the best U-team coach I've ever seen or heard by, by Country Mile. You know, I'm a great manager, but I'll, I'll have to look at people and see if they're U-team coaches as well. And his manner and the way he spoke to young players was fantastic. Mm. So that was my introduction to West Ham, which wasn't a bad one. That's not a bad one at all. And, no. obviously from, and then obviously you went on to have a 12-year career at the club, you know. And it Certainly, was, yeah. And, and you know, now I mean, nowadays, I mean, obviously, you know, back back in that era, playing a testimonial year was, was, was common practice, really. Like nowadays, like people like Mark Noble and are the exceptions to the rule, isn't it? You don't get to players yeah. hanging around for many seasons, unfortunately. No. But obviously, and it's a shame, isn't it, I think, because you don't get that sort of... Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I went from a playing career into a coaching career, so I've experienced the size of it, really. I mean, I, I was, believe it or not, I was coaching at the age of 17 at West End. John see something in me, um, and he encouraged me to come and work with the kids. They were 11s and 12s. And um, I would travel from Poplar, finish training, go home, and then get the, the bus, because I wasn't driving then, and the train to Chad Relief to do the Tuesday and Thursday evenings. And then as it progressed, I had my own centre in um, All Crikey going out towards Tilbury. Okay. And I would take kids from that area on a Tuesday and Thursday night as a player. So I trained on the Thursday, take them for a couple of hours. And then on the Saturday, I'd be playing in the first team. It just, it's amazing, really. But John encouraged me to do that. And it was great because what it did, it gave me a career out of, not outside of football, but a yeah. career in football. I had yeah. to pack in through injury. Yeah, and and that's the thing, isn't it? That's just, it's just that was obviously I wasn't around for the Lyle years or the Greenwood years at all. So no. you know, hearing all these stories about you know, obviously he saw something in you at seventeen that yeah. he nurtured. It's just incredible, absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was a tradition at West Ham mm. um, to do that. They had all the players if they could to get them to coach in the schools in the afternoon. I think mainly to stop them going down the pub. <laughs> In the afternoon, but Ron really encouraged that. And I, my first experience was at a school called Shipman, uh, which was a tough school over in Canning Town. And I went and I thought, blow this. I mean, <laughs> you've got to remember, I was only 18, 19. Yeah. So the, the, the kids there were like coming up 16, 17. So they weren't too far away from my age. And then from there, I went to Plasto Grammar, which was a marvellous school. And uh, I coached there for two years in the afternoons, but um, at, around about that time, Paul Brush was a student, believe it or not, at that school. He can remember me coaching, and he went to be a good coach. Alan Kerbisey would be around that era. Kerbs was doing a bit of coaching in his as a player later on. Uh, Frank Lampard did a bit, but I think business got in the way. Yeah. It was an encouragement uh, that by the coaches and the manager that really set the precedent for that type of thinking at West Ham. Yeah.
Definitely. And I think and by, by all accounts, I've interviewed quite a few people who in the, in the co- ex-players who are still in the, who are in the coaching staff, like Kevin Keane and, and Zavon Hines yeah. and Paul And they, and again, every year group apparently has a West Ham professional or ex-player in the setup now. So it's, yeah. so they're obviously. It's a tradition. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? And um, I think because what it does, it, what, what you basically was doing as a coach, you'd be you'd be teaching them what you'd learnt that morning from your coach. Yeah. So it just it was like it seems common sense now, but it was it was great because you you could chat and talk to the boys. If they come into West Ham, they'd be ready for that type of coaching. Yeah. So it was marvelous. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and obviously before and obviously the, the the playing career. I mean, you know, again, not not a lot of. West Ham, particularly in recent history, haven't haven't won a lot. <laughs> to be fair, um, yeah. and and obviously the nineteen seventy eight seventy five rather FA Cup final. Um, you know, as a player, what's it like? What's it like walking out a cup final at Wembley? Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's something you can't really explain. I mean, the nearest I've got to it, and it, it's it's the um, the film Gladiator, okay. and when I watched it. It sort of thought, blimey, doesn't that resonate? Um, you, you're there. I mean, the day's too much, really. There's a lot going on. And then you, you, I think we met the Duke of Kent before and shook hands. But it's when you break away that you experience. You, you basically break away on your own. I mean, things have changed now. You watch them warm up. It's, it's, it's they're a tighter group. We broke away individually to warm up because you don't have about five minutes. And I, as I broke away, I just looked up because the whole arena's there. And you thought, Christ, and it does for a moment. It, it makes you, it takes us, the guts out of you, really. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, you've got to get to grips with it quickly because in a few minutes' time, the referee's going to blow the whistle. But when I see the film Gladiator and they go into the arena, slightly different, they're fighting for their lives, and uh, they look around and think, oh, here we go. And it was like that. It's just an amazing experience. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And, and, and obviously, you know, won that. Obviously, then we went to the cup winners. He was in there next the following year. You scored in the final. Um, again, you know, that's that must be like a step up, or you know, because obviously the FA Cup is the FA Cup, and then to get to the cup winners' cup final the year after. Um, you know, obviously for you, you guys, you'd experience the FA Cup final, um, but that must be in another level, was it? Um, I think yes and no. I think I'd, if you said to me what. What do you remember most about your career? I would say the Wembley day. Yeah, yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. It was just fantastic. I mean, it's a kid's dream to play there. I hope they don't walk with the competition down because it's, it's to, to the British at least, it's one of those great traditions. Definitely. Um, the European Cupman's final was, was, again, exciting. We got through the final um, and I managed to score in that, which was, you know, you, you can't lose that memory, no. whether you want to or not. <laughs> Uh, it was mixed emotions. I give a penalty away, which I, I didn't think well on the night. They had a player you you might remember called Robbie Rensenbrick, who was actually played for the Dutch uh, World Cup side that lost to Germany that 1970, I believe. But he was a good player, and um, he just got away from me, and I, I nicked it. I got a toe ender, so the ball goes away from him. He gets up and chases the ball, but the referee give a penalty, and um, so. That, that sort of, that's mixed emotions because to score, and I should have scored a little bit later with a head, it come across, I didn't get hold of it properly. So, but to play in a final like that, again, 
you know, with with everyone, because in those days, everyone watched the final on telly. There wasn't yeah. you know, football that we see today, Russ. So for those games, they were very, very special for everybody in the country. So there was a massive audience watching it. And to score in it is, you know, it's, you know, wonderful. Yeah, exactly. And it just, and, you know, all those, you know, everyone talks about, you know, Eintracht Frank, Frankfurt sort of oh, semi-fight. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's been there, apparently. Everyone was there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone I interview, oh, I remember Frank, really? Because there's only about, how many tens of thousands were there? But this is about 100,000 were there by the sounds of it. But, I mean, yeah, it was just, a, you know, it's a, and obviously I, you know, looking back at things, obviously we've had a lot of spare time in our on our hands and lockdown. Going back and watching, you know, the the games and and and, and reliving the goals and stuff. It just it was a special time, particularly for West Ham fans that sort of time. And uh, I mean, you obviously from '69 all the way up to '81. I mean, that yeah. was that was a that was a nice time to be a West Ham fan. I would suggest. To be yeah, it was it was exciting times and it was different <clears throat> because the stadiums then. I think the North and South Bank weren't seated then, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Uh, the Eintracht Frankfurt game still is one of my greatest memories. It was just, just electric. I mean, it, for those who actually played in it, that's the game we talk about all the time because the conditions, the crowd, who knows how many were in there. We don't know. It was just, it was rocking. And when we come out, they started to sing bubbles. And I remember being alongside the German defender that I played against in the in the first leg out in in Germany, uh, in Eintracht. And he looked at me, and he was a tallish lad, and I could see his face, and it frightened him. And it frightened me, I don't know about him, but you, the airs on the back of your head went up. It was just, it was incredible. And, and Brookin, good old Trev that night, had one of them games where he couldn't do anything wrong, you know, and the goalie scores was wonderful. But it, it was just a great victory and it was an exciting game. They had two World Cup players in their side, Grabowski and I can't remember the name of the other one, I should do. Um so they were a good they were a good side. Yeah. You know, and, and we and on the night I think the crowd took us through, you know, it was it was electric. Yeah, it is. It's just it's, 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 yeah. it's you look at those look at those sort of um to, I don't know what to call them, older games, but games from the past, it's like the crowd just seems to just be on another level. You know, it just seems when they're, I mean, you know, when, anyway, when the West Ham crowd are up for it, they're up for it. Oh. They? And it's, 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 well, I, I experienced it recently. I was a guest for the opening of the Billy Bond stand. Of course, yeah. We all come out on the pitch and form like a corridor of honour. <laughs> um, and so you're out there. And it, you're part of it now because the teams are beginning to run out for the start of the game. Newcastle, they play. Yeah, you're in. You're on the side of it, but you're there, and it was unbelievable. And Bill got very emotional on the day, yeah. and it meant so much to him. But I think it meant a fantastic amount to the supporters as well. Yeah. There was only going to be one winner that day, and it wasn't going to be Newcastle. No. You know, and and the crowd flattened Newcastle. You could sense it that the the atmosphere and that's why people can't understand about the results we're getting in today's game i know i'm diversing a little bit but to play in front of empty stadiums takes the soul out of football yeah it does doesn't it i mean yeah. you've got i mean interview obviously a lot of players like yourselves and obviously more and some some of the modern era players as well and they say you know sometimes 
you know, the crowd gives them, and you said about the, the Eintracht Frankfurt, you know, the crowd basically pulls you over the line. It's like, you know, yeah. they're saying, you know, I'm feeling a bit rough, you know, a good 15, 20% a crowd could get, give us, you know, to keep us going. And um, that's the one thing I think people miss, but some, some players flourish in it, don't they? Because they don't ha- get the players up against their back. So the fans. Well, I had, um, I had an interesting call from, I think it was LBC. Uh, as I get older, my memory goes a bit. And it was because I'd played in the game when we played um, uh, the Spanish side. Oh, behind the closed doors game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, B-side to, to Real Madrid. Yeah. And uh, I played in that. So they, they said, would you come on the show and just try and tell us about your memories of that, that evening? Uh, and so I, uh, <laughs> the first question he asked me, he said, what did the coach say before the game? <laughs> I was 40 odd years ago, 45 years ago. I said, I can't remember. No. So you can't remember. I said, no, I can't remember. I said, I can remember going out as a player onto the pitch and trying to collect your thoughts on on how you're going to approach the game. Because um, it's purely an individual thing, whether you like it or not. You know, it's how people react to that that sort of situation. And I said, I ended up having one of the best games I've ever had in my life at West Ham. There was, there was no one there. But as I drove out after the game, there must have been about 50 supporters at the bottom of the, as we drove out the car park, and they're all banging on the car, well done, you know, great game, and they just listened to it on the radio. And I just smiled to myself. But you thought, you know, there again is that emotion. They want to be part. And um, so it was a unique night, but it wasn't a, a great night in terms of enjoying the game as such. There was no, there was, there was pressure, but there was no pressure from the crowd, etc. Yeah, yeah, it is. and it was Castilla, Castilla, well remembered. And, I, and I, no, I've just googled it because <laughs> because I, I was pretty sure it was, but I didn't want to say it. And I think that was yeah. the best. That was our biggest ever European victory as well, our club record. So, yeah, yeah. So yes, so there we go. But yeah, no, it is weird. It's very strange. I mean, I go there. Obviously, I, I, I sort of, as I said, I'm one of the three hundred at the Premier League games at the moment at London Stadium. And you know, obviously, you've got this bowl of a stadium, and there's literally like. Well, yeah. it's so quiet. I can hear the journalists typing on their laptops. Do yeah, you know what I mean, it's, it's I so weird. It's it is. It's strange times. It is. It is. But at least football's on, and it gives us something to moan about, doesn't it? Rather absolutely, than the absolutely. News. So it is a yeah. distraction. But anyway, anyway, talking about distractions, um, that's what this whole channel's about, really. To be fair, um, but but anyway, let, let's go and talk about, about your um, your eleven, your hammers eleven. So as I said, Pat. Everyone we've had on the channel, we, whether they're an ex-player or a fan, we get them to pick their 11. So for the players, it gets a pick from the 11 that they played with during their time. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, you have quite a good spread of players from yeah, 1960 yeah. which, which is good but bad at the same time because, you know, there's too many to pick from. That so doesn't make it no, and I and I can imagine there'll be lots of noticeable mentions. That that's that, that's yeah. how players get away with it. I'm going to pick this one, but I'd also like to mention as well, just so yeah. you don't get annoyed. So that's what we'll do. So um, we'll start off in goal, Pat. In goal for the for the Holland eleven. Who are we going to have? Well, there's there's only two I can choose from, and um, that would be Mervyn Day, who I played with in the '75 and '76 finals, and obviously Phil Parks. Um, I'd seen a lot of great West Ham keepers um, as a young boy, 
and as I grew older, but we're going to pick one of those two. So I would have to go for Phil, although I thought Mervyn was an excellent keeper as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, wasn't, yeah, I mean, yeah, someone like Parksy as well was like the world record holding, you know, <laughs> the yeah. highest transfer yeah. fee sure. for, in essence, a championship yeah. player. It's it, it's crazy when you, uh, you know, championship team, really, uh, yeah. West Ham were. It's just crazy when you think about how much money, you know, Dead oh, now. Yeah. Oh, hello. Compared to nowadays, right? Okay, we'll put, a, we'll put a, top he keeper. was and a top bloke as well, as well. Yeah, lovely guy. Well. Well. Yeah. Um, and obviously, much like he, he and he's just turned 70 yeah. as well. Oh, no. Um, so yeah, same as you said, but he grew he grew the mullet back for his for his birthday. His mullet's all right, yeah, he's still all right. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike some of us, and I, you know, I just have half your age, and I've got less hair. Anyway, um, let's go into. Are we going to play four at the back, or are we going to play something? What are we going to play? I'm going to go with a, a, a solo four. Nice. And yep. um, again, I'm going to throw another name in, although I'm not going to pick him to disrupt you. I thought John McDowell was an excellent player. He yep. could play right back, he could play left back, he could play centre half, he could play centre midfield. Wow. I had a conversation with John Lyle about him one day because John come to Spurs for a little spell when he lost his job at, at West Ham. Terry Venables got him in because of his knowledge. Mm. Spoke about John McDowell and, and he said he had the potential to be a top, top player. So we, we never went any further than that. But my choice would be my old mucker, Ray Stewart, yeah. um, the fiery Scotsman at right back, <laughs> who was a great lad, um, we work well together as a unit. Um, I'll try and get back and, and gang up. I remember we played Knott's Forest one night and uh, John Robertson was playing left wing and Ray was holding him up and I'm scurrying around and Robertson turned around to me and said, can you do me a favour and stop chasing back? <laughs> I said, well, I won't chase you back if you don't chase me back. And it was a bit of a laugh and it was great, but supporters don't see that. But Ray was, a, was an, an excellent player, good defender, I think he developed as a player at West Ham, uh, and he had a love of the club. I always find this when you meet up again. The certain players have a love of the club, yeah. and Ray's one of those. He's he, he's a West Ham boy, and and yeah. uh, it means a lot to him to have played for the club. Definitely, so be my right back. Definitely, and you still can't understand what he says anyway, so it's even better. No, <laughs> <laughs> so Tony Gale keeps setting him up. Exactly. Go on, then. Ray, raising who's next, then Pat. So alongside would be Alvin Martin. Yeah. Who, um, <clears throat> I remember as a little boy coming into the side, young Alvin. Of course, yeah. And he was a very, very talented uh, kid. Uh, took too many touches on the ball in training, but he developed into being a, a top player. Uh, we're going over there one night. I think it was Newcastle he was playing for Shearer, and Alvin was marking him. I think Alvin by that time was a bit of an elder statesman. Yeah. He kept leaning on him without even jumping and winning the ball in the air, Alvin. It was just, it was a, it was just great to watch a man who knew what he was doing. Yeah. Who was on top of his profession. Um, and if he'd been a little bit quicker, who knows? Who knows? But again, that, that he would be my centre off. Yeah. And similar to Ray, you know, they both, you know, yeah. tied to the club, despite from not coming yeah. around these parts. You know what I mean? It's, it's sure. lovely. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, okay, so Alvin's in. Who is next then, Pat? Well, that's, that's a no-brainer, as you know. Yeah. 
Bobby Bobby, Bobby yeah. Moore, who in uh, my first, my debut, all the three World Cup players played in that game against oh, him. Wow. So that was a wonderful experience just to be with them on the pitch. Yeah. He was a very quiet man. Um, he never shared at anybody. He just looked at you, which was enough. Yeah. <laughs> it could cut you in half. But he had <laughs> presence. He, uh, if he walked into the dressing room, it was Bobby Moore. It was, he was a celebrity of that time. You know, I mean, he was the icon of the country. He was a blonde, good-looking fella, but he was a fantastic footballer. Um, and he could adapt to anybody in society, no matter where he went, it would feel comfortable, Bobby. I remember going down there one day in the summer, it must have been early 70s, just before he went, and uh, I went there to do a little bit of training on my own, and um, all of a sudden the door opened, and he walked in with Carlos Alberto. So I've got the England captain, and I've got the Brazilian captain, great, and 70 side. And he introduced me to Carlos Alberto, and I just thought, if, <laughs> if you only had your camera with you, now. Yeah. That'd be one of the old uh, selfies. Old phone ones. Yeah, selfies. Yeah. So Bobby would be. Well, there's no, no doubt. He's the, the top man for that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Bob's in. And and who's the last piece of defence then? Then Pat. I, I'm going to go for Frank because I thought he had a Frank Lampard great Western career. Um, he was a a tough boy, Frank. Um, I'd be maybe. Uh, finishing training and he'd come up and go, what are you doing this afternoon? It, it wasn't a, a request, it was demand, really. And I'll go, and I was in my 20s. I go, well, I'm, I ain't got to do anything today. All right, hang around then. You can come and knock a few crosses for me. And he defended the far post. So a bag of balls, a two of us, I'd ping about 30 over and he just got edited, edited the balls. And he, he installed that in, in his son, young Frankie, that, that yeah. desire yeah. to be a top player. And you could never beat Frank in running if we were cross-crunch country. If we go going right and the, 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 the path was a bit tight, it'd push you in the bushes to stop you going past him. That was how competitive Frank was. But he was, uh, he was, he was better than that. Technically, he was very good. Yeah. He got his distances right. He had a bad break when he was a young man, mm. and he overcome that. I was at the club when he broke his leg. And he overcome that. So he would be my choice at left back. Mm, that is a solid back four. <laughs> yeah. Or back five with Parksy. Oh, very, yeah. very solid. Right, let's move into the midfield then, Pat. Um, you, you go through the, your, your 11 as you want well, to, well, man. Being a coach, I sh, I sh, I'm a traditionalist. I'm 4-4-2, but I'm not going to go this, with this one. I'll <laughs> balance it only just to get the players in. Go for it. Only midfield player, so the four, would be my old mate, Billy Bonds who could play anywhere, really. Um, and a, a, just one of the greats of the club. Uh, just a, a, as a person, you couldn't wish to be a nicer man. I'm sure you know, Russ, and you've met him. Um, but he, he was a, a titan for West Ham. He was physically strong. I remember him saying, Dutch, Dutch, he said, they don't give me enough credit. He said, I'm technically better than they think I am. And he got 14 to 15 goals that year from midfield. Yeah. And I went, Bill, you've got, I think you've got about 15, 16. I said, Bill, you've scored 16 goals from midfield. <laughs> you've got to be a good player. And that's what he was. He, he was everything that West Ham, after Bobby left, 
it was the ideal fit. Different type of player, obviously, but a but a great, great West Ham player. Yeah. And he sort of and and by as you said, didn't really think about that really, but obviously he taking over the mantle from from you know from Bobby. Uh, yeah. and 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 he sort of was the right player for that era, wasn't he? He was more sort of like because the, the game was more sort of, you know, you think of the dirty Leeds team and, and you know, yeah. he's like he yeah, was yeah. like a swashbuckling midfielder and he was right for what you know, the sixties, you know, it was all about you know, it was obviously Moro was a stylish player and it was yeah. the game was very stylized. Then it became a bit not tougher, but there was like it was more more about the dirty leads and people having fights and stuff like that. Very aggressive. Yeah, there was a lot exactly. of there was a lot of strong size at that stage. Yeah. yeah. People don't so, realise and no, the game no. was different there. It wasn't mm. referees were a little bit more lenient, let's say. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right, we'll put yeah. Bill in. Um okay, Bill's in. Who's next then, Pat? Right. Um so to the left of that, that yes. three, I'm going to put Trevor. And, and Trevor tended some, for some reason to, to drift quite a bit. If you watch the games and you really analyse him, he drifted a lot to the left. Um, I just, I remember as a kid going through the door, and my, I come home from training the first week and my dad said, who's the best player? Expecting him to say, Urs Peters or more. And I went, Trevor Brooking. And he went, oh, right. And... Um, he had something as a young man. It, it took him a little bit of time to to get into the side. I think he was about 21 when he really established himself because they played him at some stage up front. Ron Poem as a striker. Which I kind of worked that one out. In today's game, it might have fit in. But he, had, he just had a, a wonderful ability. His awareness was incredible. That, that's a gift, the awareness. You can't coach that. Um, he had this ability, as you know, to let the ball run when he marked. He'd he done me and Bill in training one day, and we're both looking at one another, thinking, where's he gone? And he's off down the road buying a newspaper. So that was Trevor. And, uh, you know, I think I always say to people, he got 100 goals in his career, which is phenomenal for me. That's without the ones that he uh, created. Yeah. So top top player and a, and a, a good good man to boot. You know, he's whenever you see him, he's got the old chortle hair, and typical posture. But a lovely man and a great West Ham player again. Yeah, exactly. And, and he obviously was was Bill's henchman, wasn't it? Or Bill was Bill was Brookings' henchman. You Bill, know, so Bill was his. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bill yeah. looked after everybody. Yeah, I can imagine. Right, okay. Trevor's in. Who is next? Then Pat. Well, this is a chap that I I was in the room one day with Steve Rowley, the Arsenal chief scout, and who walked in Wenger. So I had this thing about Arsenal having a holding midfield player. And um, so I'm trying to convince Wenger that we should be looking for uh, a holding midfield player. And I, I mentioned the England World Cup side, of which the one who was a holding midfield player was Nobby Stiles. And Steve Rowley said to me, he's a bit young, he said, he wasn't very good, was he, Styles? I went, Steve, I said, he was a top player. I said, he could break play up, he could pass. I said, he was ideal for that position. I said, but England had a player, I said, they had three world-class players. I said, they had Gordon Banks, they had Bobby Moore, and they had Bobby Charlton. I said, but there was a player there who I thought, and I still do to this day, think he's a world-class player, and that's Martin Peters. Yeah, yeah. Dad, just, he was, I can remember him as a kid going to the club, Technically top, top drawer, six foot plus in height, graceful, timing off the ball. You can't coach it. He was D 
different class. And for me, it's got to be an inside, my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you're right. And and it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Obviously, you know, everyone's had the with the replays of the 66 World Cup and stuff yeah. like that. And as you said, yeah, your debut, you had all three of them in your yeah. Absolutely incredible, man. Absolutely yeah. incredible. All right. So Martin's in then. Martin Peters is in, bless him. Um, who's next? Who have we got next? Right. Well, I'm going to go lopsided now, there was, which has messed me up a little bit. So <laughs> I'll put my winger in. Oh, no, I'll put my striker in. I'll put my striker yeah, go on in. Then. Obviously, Jeff Hurst. Um, Who's got to be in any West Ham side? Yeah. Um, World Cup winner, three goals. Uh, I can remember watching him from the the side as an apprentice, and his timing, uh, his movement. I got quite friendly with Frank McClintock when I was at Tottenham because he was big muckers with Terry Venables, and we spoke about Jeff Hurst, and he said we could not mark him the back four that he played in Frank, which was the good Arsenal seventy side that won the double. Mm. Said his movement. His, his timing of his runs, he said, we try to catch him offside, we tried this. He said, can never, ever catch the man out. And he's uh, he was a fantastic player for West Ham at that time. Yeah, he was. He certainly was. Uh, yep, Sir Jeff. I actually had a, I actually once met him in a, in a toilet. There we go. Right. <laughs> I was in the, it was in a three-man cubicle. I was in the middle. Yeah. I had Sir Jeff and I had Sir Clive Woodward on to my right. Oh, blimey. The most yeah. regal piss I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So, Jeff Simbless. Okay. Who is next? Then we've got two more spots. Right. Well, I, I would have this this fella in, but I never played with him, so I can't. Okay. But, um, the fella I would have in is Johnny Byrne, yeah. who I was fortunate to watch the night that we beat Leeds 7 0. The uh, I think it was either the league or the league cup, and um, he was just different class. Uh, balls were going in to him. He was controlling them on his chest and volleying the ball out to Braidbrook or Sissons either side. Yeah, man. Um, and he turned up West Ham one day. Been out to South Africa, and this little fat man turns up, and Ron introduced him to the the group. We all knew he was. He was he was Johnny Bird. And we used to play in these tight squares, 3v3. Um, and he said, uh, Budgie's going to join in with us today. So he went with Bill and Trevor. So one, two, three. And I can't remember who I was with, another two. And we could not get the ball off. <laughs> I mean, it's one touch and two touch. Even at that age, was fantastic. But I can't put him in, but I wanted to mention him. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. I want to go for is Pop Robson. Yeah. Um, who I did play with. And Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 